Welcome to the Women's Wellness Psychiatry Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Anna Glazer, MD, a reproductive and integrative psychiatrist here to help you make sense of the complex world of women's mental health. If your goal is to improve your emotional well-being, find fulfillment, and feel like your best self, you're in the right place. Welcome, my listener friends. I'm so pleased to bring you today's episode. I'd been chatting with my good friend and colleague, Dr. Bamberger, for a couple of months about joining me on this podcast, and this is perfect timing in line with Black History Month. And we're going to be talking about such an important topic, perinatal mental health in Black mothers. Let me introduce Dr. Bangberger to you. A board-certified psychiatrist with expertise in reproductive and integrative psychiatry, she's currently an assistant professor of psychiatry at Cedars-Sinai Hospital in Los Angeles and works with the team at Mindful Health Solutions. She has spoken numerously on topics in the field of perinatal mental health and particularly focusing on Black maternal mental health. So please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Sinmi Bangberger. All right. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here today, Sydney. I'm so glad that you're here. And I think our listeners are really going to appreciate this conversation. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here, Anna. And thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. So let's kind of start with, uh, with you. Tell listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what you do professionally. Sure. I'm a reproductive psychiatrist and I work with a large California-based psychiatry practice. And I think you know this, Anna. I got into this field during my residency when I met you and during my training and discovered that reproductive psychiatry exists and there are great women physicians out there doing it. So um, after training with you and lots of other great mentors during residency, I've been really interested in the reproductive psychiatry as a whole. Um, and then about myself, I'm Nigerian-American. I was born in Los Angeles and my family is from Nigeria. And so I'm recognized that I'm a small number. I'm one of a small number of Black female psychiatrists in this country. And there are not a lot of Black psychiatrists in general. Um, add that to the fact that Black communities and other communities of color often are very weary or wary of, of mental health treatment and often mistrustful of providers, I think it's been really important for me to advocate for mental health in Black communities and um, to be able to provide the best mental health care that I can. And especially then there's the integration between um, these Black communities and also Black women and female and pregnant people so that I can provide them the best care I can. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dive into that a little bit further and kind of talk a little bit more about populations that you work with. And so maybe what we can start with is a little bit more detail in terms of, you know, why we're talking about racial disparities in prenatal mental health and in women's mental health. And maybe just give us a little bit of background on, you know, some of the size of this disparity, some of the data on it. Yeah, I think that's such a good question and such a good thing to be thinking about. I feel that there has been a lot more awareness, especially in the last few years, in terms of disparities in um, medical need and access for Black communities, but especially too, we're hearing more about the racial disparities in perinatal mental health. So one thing that is really interesting is that, and which we know is that Black women are twice as likely to experience severe maternal morbidity, which means some kind of medical complication during childbirth. 
and are three to four times more likely to die of pregnancy-related causes compared to non-Hispanic white women. And this is important because while this is a medical issue in terms of the medical outcomes, we also know that experiencing episodes or instances of severe maternal morbidity increases the risk of developing a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder, including PTSD, and as well as developing a substance use disorder. We also know that um, Black women with uh, college educations are almost three times more likely to suffer from uh, severe maternal morbidity than uneducated white women. So it doesn't matter whether a woman is educated at the top of her field and knows a lot. She still goes into the hospital with this burden of knowing that she her outcomes are more likely to be um, to be worse than other women. And so, because of this, this all relates to the higher rates of perinatal mood and anxiety disorders that we see in these populations. Um, in addition, other risk factors for a perinatal mood and anxiety disorder would be, um, for example, interpersonal violence, domestic violence which Black women are also at higher risk of in the postpartum period. So they have these risk factors that are um, psychosocial, cultural risk factors that then are increased or risk for developing mood and anxiety disorders. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, we've definitely heard about some some famous cases. Uh, you know, some, some famous Black Americans who kind of shared their stories. Uh, Serena Williams, her experience comes to mind. Um, but I think it would be helpful for listeners to hear a little bit about you know, some of the non-famous experiences, some of the maybe some of the patients that, that you've worked with. Um, so I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about your experience working with patients who identify as a racial minority, how they describe their experience. Definitely. And I think the Subject of Serena Williams, and just for those of our of your listeners who don't know, Serena Williams, who probably most people have at least heard of her, she's one of the most recognized <laughs> Black women in the world and super famous tennis player, really amazing athlete in like peak physical health, right? Yeah. Um, and so what her experience was, was after she had a C-section for her first child, she had trouble breathing. And this is a woman who's had blood clots in her lungs before. She knows what it's like, what it feels like. And she apparently, according to uh, accounts that I read, pretty calmly walked out of the room and told a nurse, I think I'm having a blood clot. I need to have a CT scan. I need to have this um, blood thinner drip. And the nurse basically told her, you must be mistaken. And then when the doctors came, they kind of did other things first and an ultrasound of her legs first. When we were a clot in your lung is a medical emergency and really should be evaluated as quickly as possible. And so this is someone who knows what she had, advocated for herself, eventually was found to have a blood clot in her lung and got the treatment she needed, luckily. Um, but it is really scary to think that someone who's so famous and who people you would think would listen to her could have such a something happen to her. Someone with, with a wealth of resources. Exactly. Like at her disposal. Exactly. Like uh, the knowledge of even knowing what's happened, like having had that experience, having like being able to recognize that for herself and totally mm -hmm. and still and even yeah so I think that is just such a mind-boggling experience to just hearing about that and so scary to think and so the fact that this happens to her just highlights that this happens every day to regular so so we should we say regular black people who <laughs> we, we all most of us fall into that credit category um and so 
it's widespread in Black communities all over the world. Of course, I've seen in my own experience in California and in this country, but also I've read studies from um, UK and Canada where Black women feel um, sense, a sense of loneliness, fear, and frustration when they're trying to seek care. There have so, been... Oh, go ahead. Just to clarify what you, what you said, because um, you expand, expanded it to, to worldwide phenomenon. This is not something that's, you know, really in the United States with all of the kind of the racial tensions and everything that happens in the United States. This is more of a, a worldwide global phenomenon that you're describing. Exactly. Yes. I would say any place in the world where there ha- where there is a history of racial tension, which is many places in the world, in um, the coloni- colonized world, is this uh, phenomenon occurs. And there have been studies here in this country that show that Black patients often report better experiences with Black providers and in some cases experience better outcomes. And this is often because they feel like they're better listened to, um, which it's on one hand, they feel like they're being better listened to and probably they are being better listened to. Um, there's um, So then in regards to what populations experience, they often experience, for example, um, if a Black woman is wanting, is, is pregnant and is seeking care, often she may not have access to um, private health insurance. She may be on public health insurance. And so that, by nature of the way public health insurance often works in this country, is that there's a poor continuity of care and poor provider communication. She might get whoever's in the office that day. She might never see them again. Whoever delivers her baby might not be the, anybody she's ever met before. Because of that, um, things can get lost through the cracks. She, they don't have the luxury of having the same OB appointment and the same OB doctor every time throughout the pregnancy. Um, they also feel that this, what happened to Serena Williams in terms of a nurse telling her, oh, you don't know what you're, what you're feeling is something that's a really common refrain, this idea of being dismissed by providers. Um, I, I remember one study that I read that said that a lot of women felt that providers dismissed their symptoms as normal consequences of childbirth without doing further investigation, which um, probably most of the time was totally fine and appropriate. But for those times when there is a really serious situation, um, then I think that's a really um, large overstep um, to occur. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm curious, you know, let's think a little bit about uh, structural racism factors that maybe factor into this kind of disparity that exists. And, and just take a step back first and even just define what that term means for our listeners. Yeah. Structural racism, it basically means the history of oppression of Black communities and other communities of color, or other minority communities that affects present day access to opportunity in these communities. So an example of this is throughout the history of our country, Black patients have been relegated to separate and unequal medical facilities or even denied care altogether. And so a lot of those disparities pers- persist to today. So we see that a lot of Black patients receiving care in facilities with less funding and fewer resources than those that are available in communities with majority white populations. So there is that. And then we also think about even if they are going to facilities or um, practices that are better resourced, they are more likely to come into contact with 
white providers who have been um, favored by our medical system through the dawn of the medical system here, um, who have, whether they have implicit bias or un, un, um, undiscovered prejudice, prejudice, or just outright have racist ideas about pain that Black people can feel or the um, outcomes that people might have, just being in those settings makes them uh, more likely to have poor outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the pain piece is a really important one, I think, because I mean, we do know in general, pain, certainly during like a labor and delivery experience, increases the risk of mm-hmm. postpartum conditions like postpartum depression. Um, and then historically, there was this kind of uh, prejudiced uh, viewpoint that somehow uh, Black women experience pain so like a lower threshold than than other women. And so then you have this like constellation of uh, women who are experiencing more pain and therefore are more at risk for consequence. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And even to this day, I think there are medical students who believe that Black people experience less pain than white people, which is kind of mind-boggling to me to even, but I guess... But that it still exists. So yeah, that those are those are ways in which we still see these these disparities and the implications of racism in the past that have persisted today, even though these are not explicitly black only facilities or you know, you're not explicitly being denied care because of your race. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit more specifically about kind of the perinatal mood and anxiety conditions. Um, what are some of the rates of perinatal mood and anxiety conditions in Black communities, how does that differ from the white white women? So overall, the expected rate of uh, perinatal mood and anxiety disorder hovers around 20%. It can range. Different studies will put that at anywhere from 11 to 25% in different populations. But studies have consistently shown higher rates in Black patients, sometimes as high as 30%. And um, one study that I read showed that Black women were 1.4 times more likely to report depressive symptoms and 3.3 times more likely to report anxiety symptoms than white women. So they are generally much higher than the VC in white communities. And I think that goes back to what I talked about earlier, which is they have, they're having higher rates of um, morbidity and mortality. They're having... Um, Plus access to care that feels culturally sensitive and responsive to their needs. Yeah. And so we have these higher rates. Guessing that does not translate to more treatment. Unfortunately, it does not. And it would be great if it did, but it really doesn't. And there's um, one study said that Black patients are more likely to be psychiatrically hospitalized than white patients and attributed this discrepancy to the fact that they're not getting the appropriate outpatient care. So then they end up getting worse and ending up to be ending up hospitalized. Yeah, which which I think is something that's been shown in, in other kinds of medical conditions as well, where the whatever the medical ailment is, it tends to be picked up later um, in someone who is black than compared to a white patient. And so maybe further along and maybe that requires more intervention or more treatment or something. Right. Exactly. 
So what are some of the barriers to treatment right now? So many, unfortunately, you know, and I think, and this, I would say barriers to mental health treatment, I'm sure you can speak on this, are not unique to Black patients or patients of color. They exist for everybody in every community for various reasons. But some that are specific to Black communities, one especially is just the general um, kind of wariness that mental health conditions are real. So a lot of people kind of believe, you know, I have had people in my family themselves say, you know, Nigerians don't have time to get depressed because we have too much work to do. So if you work more, you won't have time for depression. Or if you pray more, then God will hear your anxiety. Or you are anxious because you don't have enough faith in God. You know, so different um, thoughts like this that really make it so that it makes it hard to feel empowered to seek help if you are experiencing a mental health condition. Um, and when people do, they really just prefer to talk to their family, friends, or their faith leaders. So their pastors or ministers, whoever. Um, so I think that's one way that we really, something that I just try to do when I do have Black patients or just go out and about and when I'm doing my daily life in the community and tell people I'm a psychiatrist and everyone, I have, you know, it's great to go to therapy and see a psychiatrist if you need it. Um, Another uh, barrier, and this is not unique to Black patients, is that a lot of OBGYNs who might be the only provider a, a Black woman sees during her pregnancy and postpartum journey uh, don't feel adequately trained to recognize perinatal mood and anxiety disorders or the symptoms of that. And even though that's definitely improving with um, updated uh, guidance about screening guidelines, um, I think that is still something, you know, we know OBGYNs are super busy and they're trying to do the best for every patient. Sometimes they don't have time to really ask more about intrusive thoughts or, you know, other de or depressive symptoms. Um, then when they, if a patient is referred to treatment or somebody catches it and says, you need to see a therapist or a psychiatrist, there is often a dearth of knowledgeable and affordable mental health providers. So we know that for um, psychiatrists and psychotherapists, many of these practitioners are cash-only practices. And while their services are quite valuable, they're out of reach for a lot of people. Um, and a lot of insurance providers don't, um, their panels are out of date, their listings are out of date. So people spend hours on the phone going to their insurance provider's website, and then they call people on their full and they don't take the insurance anymore. So it's a really frustrating process. Um, and then lastly, I think, um, again, not unique to Black patients, but probably um, Black patients bear a disproportionate burden of this is that when they are ready to seek treatment, maybe they need time off of work that they can't get because they work hourly jobs or they are essential workers. Or they might need childcare, which they can't have because, which for whatever reason, they can't, um, if they're the primary caregiver, they can't leave their kids or they don't have anyone else to watch their children. So there's really a sense of um, almost at every turn, a, a woman could feel like, okay, this is not going to work for me. And then kind of gives up and doesn't want to try anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of different barriers and obstacles. Yes, unfortunately. And so I'm, I'm curious if there's you know, any advice or any thoughts that you would offer you know, anyone who's listening who happens to work with Black mothers or who themselves are Black mothers or 
what we just kind of talked about in terms of mental health care and treatment and barriers, obstacles. What would you what would you say to those? Yeah, I would say for for black mothers or black parents, um, and I'll say I say black mothers here, but I really think about any parent or any birthing parent, anyone who's needs help in this journey, um, to really know that having depression, anxiety, any other mental health concerns is not a reflection that there is something wrong with you or that you are not doing something right, um, but that you could use some additional support during this time. So I really try to destigmatize that for my patients, for potential patients, for anyone listening to this podcast. Um, and one way that can help you on your journey, because it can be kind of scary, it can be very daunting, is to find somebody close to you who can help you advocate for your medical and physical health. So if that could be a friend, a family member, just your partner, just somebody who, when you feel like maybe you're not being listened to, they can also, they can try to step in there. Um, or they can help you try to find another way around this provider or find a better provider for you. I know that flexibility in providers is not always possible, meaning depending on your insurance status and where you're getting care, you might not always be able to say, you know what, this doctor is not listening to me. I want a different doctor. But if it is possible, if you know there's other people in the clinic, um, whenever possible, look for a provider who you feel listens to you. One thing that I have noticed a lot since leaving the hospital-based world and being out in the community is the number of patients I have who found me and they said, I found you because you're Black or because you're not white. And it's not, a, I will say, it's never a um, like a negative thing on all providers who are white, but it's more just, you know, they feel that, and I don't have the same background as most of my patients who are all very different, but it's just, they can feel, feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, and I appreciate that. And I think I can, I can feel that when they're more comfortable, then they're more open to treatment, more open to recommendations. And I think the treatment does is better. Um, so I think that is really great that one, that these are patients who, who do have the agency and the ability to find that. Um, and I will say when thinking about pregnancy and childbirth, whenever you can to consider a doula service, there are organizations that connect parents with low cost doula services. And so that, that can be a really great advocate and support network to have in this time that is really stressful and overwhelming. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. There's definitely, uh, I've, I've read the research that having a doula decreases the risk of postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. It's, it's support, it's advocate, all of those things. Exactly. And I think I, myself, until I learned, became more immersed in this community, felt that doulas were this an extravagant um, thing to have, but it is really cool to see how there are a lot of doulas of color and for low income families. So they are accessible to almost everybody. So that's great. That's a really important factor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to the providers who work with black mothers, I would say really focusing on taking that extra time to listen to your patients and really think about what they're telling you if they're having fears or anxieties, where that could be coming from. Um, And remembering that even if you as a provider are aware of the disparities in mental and physical health care and you feel that you are in tune with them, you feel that you are really working to um, address them in your own care, know that many of your colleagues are not. So 
an experience that your patient has had with somebody else might color their interaction with you. And so being really mindful of that. And lastly, I think that if someone, if you are a provider in a position of privilege in your organization or institution, um, do your best to educate your colleagues and call out bias or structural racism. It's really important for people who have a voice to be able to use their voice to say, you know, I've noticed that we have not as good outcomes for these patients. What can we do? Like, can we do something better? Um, and I think that would be uh, probably one of the best things that you can do to provide better support to your Black patients. Yeah, that sounds great. And I, I think it's so nice to be able to talk to you about this. It's such an important topic. And for you to share and certainly how, how you do this work with directly with, with patients and then also how you're doing all of this kind of um, awareness and educational work, like coming onto this podcast so that listeners become more familiar with this information and um, you know, move our entire population, country, culture forward in terms mm-hmm. of these really, really important issues. So I just want to thank you for taking the time to come onto the podcast and kind of share your wisdom with everyone. Are there any kind of last words of wisdom that you wanted to share with our listeners? Well, first, I do want to say thank you again for having me. And I do think it's such a good, um, the more that this information is out there, it, the better that is so that patients can hear, providers can hear it. Um, in terms of other advice for our listeners, I would say in certain situations, while I, I never, um, I don't love Dr. Google, but I do love being informed. And so I think if there's something that you're concerned about and you feel like maybe you don't have enough information about, it's always helpful to, you know, ask your friends, ask your family what their experiences were with this, and then bring it up to your doctor and say, I'm worried about this. And this is what I've heard. Can you tell me if that's, if this is accurate? And I feel like that opened up conversations in a really, in a really good way. So um, this is, at all times in your life, but also in the pregnancy journey, it's really important to be able to be your own best advocate and have people around you who can advocate for you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much for taking the time to to be on the podcast today. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. As you know, my goal is to share with you the most helpful information that moves you towards emotional well-being. If you have suggestions or questions, I'd love to hear those. And I also always appreciate a rating that will help others find this valuable content. I'm looking forward to connecting with you again next week. Please note that while I am a clinical doctor, this podcast is not a substitute for nor should be taken as medical advice. No specific health advice is being given on this podcast and no physician-client relationship is created by you listening to this podcast. All information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only.